Welcome to the Bible Answer Show, a live and lively forum that brings together pastoral and apologetic voices from across the Christian community to answer your scripture questions. Our show is hosted by Pastor Michael Lance of Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, along with a panel of pastors and other invited guests. The phone lines are open now. So, you've got questions, we've got answers on today's Bible Answer Show. It's hump day at the Bible Answer Show. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no commercial, I think, has has uh, stuck around that long. That was actually not on the uh, TV for too long. That uh, Geico commercial with the camel. Mike, 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 Mike. Everybody loves that commercial, but they only play it for like a... Anyway. Hump maybe day, maybe huh? guys named Mike just like... Uh, yeah, I think it's, <laughs> that's it. It's appropriate on this show. Uh, so yeah, it's Wednesday here at the Bible Answer Show. one 800 227-5278 is the number. 1-800-227-5278. What's the number for, you might be asking? Well, we want you to call us with your Bible questions. Uh, so if you've got a question that you've been uh, kicking around, maybe it's been uh, bothering you, maybe give us a call here. Talk to the pastors. See what they have to say. 1-800-227-5278. Also, get out there and like that Facebook page. Facebook.com forward slash Bible Answer Show. You want to click like on that so you get all the updates coming up with the show. How many views do we have on that last show we did now, Coach? Over 600. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks if you were one of those people who watched. It's, uh, it's a good time on the uh, Facebook Live. Uh, we're going to be uh, jumping into the calls here in a moment. First, I want to say I'm Mike Massaro. I'll be taking your calls and handing them off to our group here, starting out with Pastor Brian Richards. Pastor Coach Chris Van Hook and Senior Pastor of Living Truth Christian Fellowship here in Corona, California. Pastor Michael Lance, you guys ready for some questions? We are. You know what? It's not hump day for us here. Today is an exciting day because uh, we have church tonight, so we don't look at it uh, the way that maybe many of you do. Um, but I know at one point uh, in my life it was often called grump day instead of hump day. So. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> you don't even know what to I do. I don't with know that. what to do. That. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's what my middle... students used to call us on Wednesdays. <laughs> this is the middle of the week. All right, let's go to Brian and Mission Viejo. Brian, you're on with the Bible Answer Show. Yes, uh, I had a question about a verse in Second Peter. I believe it's chapter one, verse twenty, where it says, "Prophecy is of no private interpretation." And so, don't one of the one of the I, see, I hear a lot of eschatology about end times, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. Or would people prophesy on certain TV shows? Or you know, what, Could you enlighten us more about what that, that verse really means? Sure, Brian. You know, I think this has come up before in an earlier program we did. And when you look at Second Peter chapter 1, um, there's an experience that Peter is addressing. And he's addressing actually the Mount of Transfiguration. And um, he, he talks about the eyewitness testimony that uh, occurred there. He says, uh, For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, keyword, Scripture, is a matter of one's interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. 
I think this is a statement from Peter more about the nature of Scripture or what we would call the inspiration of Scripture. And Scripture is sure. Um, here, here's what, what I think this means. I think this means that when the writers of Scripture wrote down the Word of God, it was never an act of human will that they wrote it down. It was moved along by the Holy Spirit. This is a verse that's often appealed to when we talk about the nature or how inspiration works. Men of God were moved along by the Holy Spirit, and that is that he was directing the process. Now, we would say he wasn't removing their personalities or their, um, you know, their, uh, for example, knowledge of language and that kind of thing, because we can see Luke seems to have a, a higher uh uh, I guess it's a it's a higher form of Greek than, for example, Peter. But um, God uses the individual personalities of the men to get across His message. So I think that's what's going on. So I don't think that this particular verse has to do with just end times prophecy. I think it's just all about the prophecy of Scripture and. Um, how God used that process. Now, um, we do have all kinds of different prophecies that come up in the Bible, but this is not about a person prophesying or even one's interpretation of a Bible verse. This is more about inspiration. Where, where would you go from there? Yeah, that's... Uh, go ahead, Pastor Ryan. You go first. <laughs> Thanks. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think I think the hang-up that we that we sometimes see in this verse is when it says no prophecy of Scripture. And we, we just automatically assume when we think of the word prophecy is referring to end times events, the book of Revelation, things like that. Um, but the word prophecy, if you, if you break it down, it, it's really just God speaking. Um, and so all of Scripture is prophetic. All of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is God speaking to us. And men wrote, as Pastor Michael pointed out, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I, I think uh, I agree with Pastor Michael that what's being said here is that the writers themselves didn't make this stuff up. They were inspired. They weren't forced. Uh, they weren't secretaries. Um, and, and and they were, you know, got an audible voice and, and they were forced to, you know, write things down. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit using their own personality uh, to write what God was encouraging them them to write. Yeah, and in, in the overall context here, I just happen to have been studying First uh, and Second Peter here the last few weeks here. And, you know, the, the overall context here, chapter 1 of Second Peter is really speaking about false prophets, and I mean true prophets, and chapter 2 is false prophets. So if you look at 2 verse 1, it says, but there are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers. And I think what you guys are both hitting at is, is this what Peter's dealing with. There, there are true teachers and prophets in the church. Uh, the prophecy of Scripture was given by God, not by man. Therefore, when we teach um, about prophecy, and not just, as you said, not just about the prophecies that haven't yet been fulfilled, but about the prophecies that were fulfilled, okay, there is a correct interpretation. Now, we may not always get it right, but since it's from the will of God and not from man, there is a correct interpretation. And so that's why we study so hard as pastors, teachers, to make sure that we're doing the very best we can to explain the prophecy that's been fulfilled and also explain the prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled to the best of our ability. But know this, Peter says, that there are people who are false prophets and false teachers, and they infiltrated the church very early on. 
Second mm-hmm. Peter one sixteen coach says we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. I think I think what you said is well stated. I think the the uh, big picture of the book as well, going from chapter one to chapter two and talking about false prophets. Look, there is an interpretation, and I think this is where Brian is going, is he's saying, okay, you could have, uh, for example, you look at eschatology, and you have seven different interpretations on one, one topic. How do you make sense of this, and how do you know if one is giving an interpretation? How do you measure that? Well, we'd say we're always going to measure it first and foremost by the Word of God. And we've, we have people, even Peter goes on to say this, that twist the scriptures to their own destruction. So right. it, it's certainly true, Brian, that you're going to have some cases where someone, you know, the interpretation that they've come up with is out of left field. We had some people trying to interpret the end times through the measurements of pyramids, for example. That came from a cultic movement, but that's what they were doing. They were using measurements of pyramids. There, are, there have been others who have taken, you know, all kinds of different things to try to come up with an end time scenario or a date and, or a pin the tail on the Antichrist or you name it. <laughs> and so that this is where we have to let Scripture speak for itself. And there are some things that we just, we don't necessarily have all the information on, especially when it comes to future events. And this is where we have to anchor ourselves in the Word of God. We make our arguments from the Word and, uh, you know... It, the old saying is you interpret scripture with scripture. So I think that's the best way. Uh, when you have someone who's just uh, pontificating and, and saying stuff, uh, usually uh, they, uh, the ending of their prophecy is usually when they've predicted a, a date that doesn't come yeah. to pass. It's pretty obvious, I think, when, when that's going on. I think it's also a good warning to us as teachers, but for those that maybe um, you know, have prophetic gifts as well in terms of and there are two aspects that are both contained here. It's the foretelling and the foretelling aspects of prophecy to be real careful um, because we don't want to be saying things that originated from the mind of man. We want to be saying things that originated from the mind of God. Amen. Amen. All right. Hey, if you just tuned in, you're listening to the Bible Answer Show. Give us a call here at 1-800-227-5278. That's 1-800-227-5278. Hey, Mike, I was going to say that we had a question from a church member that we haven't gotten to. I was just, that, I was, going I was getting okay. to that. Yeah. Go. I was going to say, speaking of Peter. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, messed up your transition. I'm sorry, Mike. Dare you mess up my segue. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the word on the street is, is that uh, Peter, and though I say word on the street because it doesn't actually say this in scripture per se, but that Peter was crucified upside down. Uh, where, where are we getting that? And uh, is that true? Yeah, and we had a church member, Mike, come to me, I think it was last Wednesday after the midweek service, and say, hey, I've heard this about Peter. Is is this in the Bible? Where does this come from? Well, there is something in the Bible, and there is something from what we would call church tradition about Peter and how he died. So let's start with the Bible, since we're talking about being solid in our interpretation of Scripture. John 21, 18, Jesus speaking to Peter after his resurrection, after Jesus' resurrection, says, truly, truly, I say to you, When you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now, um, that language is not necessarily the way we would say things, but 
verse 19 does clarify. And just another rule of interpretation, just if you have a verse and you have a question mark lingering over it, keep reading and you will often find your answer in the same context, right? So now this, Jesus said, signifying what kind of death he, Peter, would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So we know that this related to Peter's death. We know that Peter would grow old, according to the Lord's words, interesting, that he would die in a way where he didn't want to go to that place, but he would kind of be forced and he would stretch out his hands, which seems to indicate crucifixion. And then we have tradition. So, you know, to support this idea that Peter was crucified and perhaps upside down, we have writers like Hegesippus, who was the earliest uh, one to mention this that I know of in my own personal study. Then Eusebius mentions that Peter was crucified downward. Tertullian talks about Peter's being girt by another when he was made fast to the cross. And Origen also mentions Peter's death. And so we have the scripture indicating that Peter would die in this manner. And then we have church fathers saying that he was crucified downward. Now, was he, was he not? You know, this, this, this comes down to how reliable is the tradition that was passed along. It's coming from good sources. And, uh, you know, there are people who say that Peter made this request because he didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same fashion as his Lord. So this is where we get the the reality of how Peter died. Thoughts? Uh, there's also a, a late second century text. This comes around 80, 180, 190. It's called the Acts of Peter. <clears throat> so it's not part of the canon of Scripture, uh, but it was circulated around that time. And the writer says this, uh, and, he, and he's quoting Peter. So this was a traditional uh, speech that, uh, that Peter gave that was remembered by people and then eventually written down. And this is one of the things Peter says, uh, but it is time for you, Peter, to surrender your body to those who are taking it. Um, take it then, uh, you whose duty it is. I request you, therefore, executioners, to crucify me heads downward in this way and no other. And that was one of the last things he said. So um, you can make a pretty good case for it. I just think as a teacher, when we bring those things up, we need to make it real clear that um, it is tradition, that there is some evidence for it, but that we're not absolutely sure. And um, not to take it any further than that, not to make it more important than, uh, than it is, because if it was that important, we would have you know, scriptural evidence as well. Coach, I think it's something just interesting, you know, looking at Peter and, and knowing that at one point um, before he denied the Lord, he had said, um, I will die for you. And it's interesting that those words did eventually come to pass. Yeah. Um, now, Jesus said, this night, you're going to deny that you even know me, right? But eventually Peter would die for the Lord. And those words, interestingly enough, would come to pass. And uh, Peter would glorify the Lord in dying this way. And I think it's always encouraging to look at Peter after all the, the failures and see how radically he was used and how he died in such a noble way, going to his grave, to his death, saying, Jesus is Lord. And I think that's an awesome story of redemption as well. All right. You're listening to the Bible Answer Show. You can give us a call here at 1-800-227-5278. 1-800-227-5278. Or if you're not by a phone, you can send an email to answers at livingtruthradio.org. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of time for the 
Living Truth Calendar. Thanks, Mike. Hey, we do have the midweek service tonight, and we're in Genesis 41. We're going to see how Joseph's dreams come to pass. Not because he dreamed this big dream and it came to fruition because he was such a great guy, even though he's a solid guy, great guy. But his dreams came to pass because his dreams were from God. And it was a hard, arduous journey through being sold into slavery by his brothers, being falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, ending up in prison, interpreting dreams, and then having people promise him, yeah, well, I won't forget you, bro. I'll mention you. And then they forgot about him. But finally, he goes from the prison to the palace, and his dreams come to pass, not because he dreamed great dreams, but because his dreams were from God. And the lesson tonight is going to be, when your dreams align with God's dream for your life, if I can put it that way, they will come to pass. So that's tonight, 7 p.m. at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona. And uh, you can find out information and directions at livingtruthradio.org. Pastor Brian is sitting to my left. Last uh, Wednesday of the month is worship night for junior high and senior high. Why don't you give a little... Yeah, if you know any uh, teenagers, uh, ages 13 to 18, um, that are looking for a place to worship, place to meet some new friends, um, hear the gospel, uh, the last Wednesday of every month we do a worship night. It's just an extended time of, of singing and prayer. We take communion and uh, you know study about the Holy Spirit. So it's by far uh, the favorite night of, of our teenagers. So if you have a teenager, come out tonight, livingtruthradio.org. You can come to the Bible study and your teenager can go up to the youth group and have a great time. There's something for kids and all of that, so just uh, come and check it out if you don't have a home church. Second thing, Mike, is I want to remind listeners that we have a radio program at 6.30 on K-Bright, and it does air Monday through Friday. It's called Living Truth Radio. And right now we're going to the book of 1 Samuel. And so if you are driving later and you want to tune in to Living Truth Radio, that's uh, you know straight from the pulpit of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. And uh, we know you'd enjoy that as well. So that's 6.30 tonight. All right. Hey, speaking of Joseph, uh, I had a dream uh, last night that I bought <laughs> two Snickers bars at a gas station. It uh-huh. came out to $3.31. What do you think he would say about that? Who, who would say? Joseph. If I asked him to interpret that dream. He would say, uh, you probably need to go on a diet. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be tough. That wouldn't be the tough. The prophetic too. word that and, there's two pounds waiting, awaiting you. Well, right. I think what he'd probably say, Mike, is eventually if you keep eating that way, you'll weigh 331. 331. Yeah. Oh, all right. Thank you, Joseph. All right. Hey, guys. Uh, I'm going to... Before, uh, well, it looks like we're waiting for calls. 1-800-227-5278. If you want to get your call in before the end of the show, you can call that number. Uh, in the grab bag here, uh, does First Peter 3.21, going back to Peter, it's Peter Wednesday. Uh, does that imply that people are saved through baptism? First Peter 3.21. No, it doesn't, Mike. And, and First Peter 3.21 is another one of those verses that you just have to read in context to really get the meaning of it. And... One of you guys have it before you? Why don't you read? Uh, yep. Go ahead. First uh, Peter three twenty one um, says, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So once again, as Pastor Michael has just said, if we read a little bit further, I think that we get you know, the total idea here. And if we compare it to other verses, 
about how we get saved. See, this is the problem. When you take one verse here or one verse there and you say, oh, see, this proves that you're saved by baptism, but you have to put it together with the many, many verses that speak about how we are saved and what we are saved uh, from here. And notice in verse 21 too, Pastor Michael and Pastor Brian, it says this water symbolizes baptism. What, what's your take on that? Well, if you go back in context too, Coach, for Christ also died for sins, 1 Peter 3, 18, once for all, the just for the unjust in order to bring you, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Christ died the just for the unjust, right? He died for all of us. Now, in the New American Standard, it says these words. It says, and corresponding to that, and it's Noah and the flood, and then being saved in the ark. By the way, it's not the water that saved them. <laughs> they were trying to get away from the water. <laughs> it was point. the ark that saved them. So that's the context here, is the ark was the means of salvation, kind of a type of Jesus Christ there, Brian. And then the verse says it, Coach. It says, not the. it says, a corresponding to that, okay, to the ark and what happened there, baptism now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So again, right in the verse, it says, it's not the cleansing of the water, like it washing you on the outside. It's about the inside. You must be born again, mm -hmm. right? And if you're born again, baptism be can become a picture of that process whereby you trust in Christ, die to the old self, and you rise to newness of life. But again, it's not the water that saves, Jesus saves. There's over, I think, 200 mentions in the New Testament that salvation is by faith. It's, it's trusting in Christ from your heart um, and your mind that causes someone to be saved. There's only one or two scriptures that you could make the case that, you know, uh, baptism saves you in a sense. I mean, you know, uh, Peter says in Acts 2.31, I think, repent and be baptized uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you study the book of Acts, what you'll find out is people would put their faith in Christ and then their first response to that, proof of that salvation would be baptism. So let's go there for a second, because this is the famous verse that uh, we have a lot of movements that try to park right here, and they do say, you know, Peter is saying that baptism now saves you. So how would you guys respond? I know this is a, this is a hard verse, but uh, how do you guys respond to a question like that? Well, well going back to, uh, you know, what I said previously, that there's over 200 mentions that salvation is by faith. You can only pull maybe one or two that mentions baptism as, as part of that process. Um, so you always want to err on that side. You know, you don't want to pull the one or the two and build a doctrine and ignore 200 other <laughs> verses that say otherwise. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, go with, the, go with the clear, specific ones. Now, you know, as far as baptism, baptism is concerned in the book of Acts, um, it was the first response that they took after they put their faith in Christ. I think that's something some of us in some churches maybe neglect that. You know, somebody will come to Christ and then it, it'll be years later, decades later, that they get baptized. And that, that would have just been a foreign thought to uh, somebody in the early church. Yeah, and I, I think, again, if we go back to the practice of baptism before Jesus came on the scene, 
Remember that John the Baptist was baptizing as well. What was he baptizing for? The repentance. In other words, the turning back to God of people. They came and John the Baptist preached and they heard him preach and, and they realized, oh my goodness, we are not following God. And so he, he preached repentance. Turn away now from not following God and turn toward God and prepared their hearts really to receive Jesus. Now I often wonder, do you think most of those people after they received Jesus got baptized again, understanding now what John was teaching, what they were looking mm -hmm. forward to, and now came in to baptize and to symbolize the fact that not only had they turned back to God, but they had acknowledged Jesus now as their Lord and Savior, knowing that they couldn't be saved by anything else. And you know, Coach, in, in the city of Jerusalem is where Peter's preaching, right? And it's the day of Pentecost. And the, the verse that we're discussing is Acts 2.38. For one to be baptized in the middle of Jerusalem and to make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as Messiah was a genuine act of repentance. Here's why. Because for you to do that was risking pretty much everything. Because, you know, the events of the crucifixion and resurrection had occurred. The city was stirred up. There was opposition. There were people who were... Uh, you know, being threatened to be kicked out of the synagogue. There was all kinds of stuff going on. To, to put yourself out there and say, I trust in Jesus Christ in the middle of Jerusalem was a huge stance of faith. So I think we got to remember what's going on here. And when they went into the waters of baptism, they were making a stand right in the middle of a city, which was the hotbed of activity, the city that kills the prophets mm -hmm. and those who's, who, who has been sent to it. So I think you have to remember that that's what's going on here and not isolate this as a uh, you get saved by being baptized. Yeah, but I do agree with what Pastor Brian said too and what Pastor Michael, you said many times that it is a really important step for us to take. The Bible encourages us to be baptized after we come to faith. And Pastor Michael, as you have often said, it can be that day where we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Bible says if we confess before men, then we will be confessed before our Father. And I think that we make that declaration when we say, you know, I'm willing to enter into the waters of baptism to proclaim my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. In fact, Coach, I think prior to recent history with an altar call that seems to be recent, um, and I'm not going to bag on altar calls, but it seems like your baptism was the main time that you gave profession to your trust in Christ mm. and your identification with Him and the body of Jesus Christ. And so I think that's a huge point. And I just want to say this because I don't want to be misunderstood. We are not saying that baptism is something that's not important. I'll piggyback on what you said. Jesus commanded it, and we ought to be baptized. And if you haven't been baptized, then we're going to ask why not. You should be baptized in obedience to Christ, but your baptism is a testimony. It's not what saves you. It testifies to who saved you. All right. Hey, and if you need to be baptized, there's plenty of standing water around <laughs> Southern California right now. <laughs> hey, the Bible Lance Show is produced by Shane Lance and Cameron Thomas. Special thanks to Joel for screening our calls back in the studio. Thanks to our caller today. Thanks to everyone that came into this little room to answer questions. And we'll catch you all tomorrow on the Bible Answer Show. Thanks for joining the conversation on The Bible Answer Show. To find out more about the radio ministry, Michael Lance, or the church he pastors in Corona, Living Truth Christian Fellowship, visit livingtruthradio.org. Please tell your friends about us and invite them to join us any weekday here on K-Bright. And if they have questions, 
we'll have answers on the next Bible Answer Show.